He's a retired FBI agent with more than 30 years combined experience in military, corrections, law enforcement, and as an FBI agent. He's here to tell his amazing story. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. We are thrilled to partner with Shatterproof at FHE, the world-renowned treatment program for first responders. Because, at times, helpers need help. Exclusive treatment services for first responders who may suffer from exposure to trauma. PTSD, anxiety, depression, and substance abuse. For free 24-7 information, call 833-776-1420. 833-776-1420. That's 833-776-1420. Or online at fhehealth.com. That's fhe health.com under programs you'll find details about shatterproof joining us from virginia we have michael van meter on the phone michael is a retired fbi agent he is a man of many accomplishments he's a founder director of van meter wellness solutions llc host of recovery is possible podcast over 30 years of military corrections police and fbi experience and he's a retired fbi agent michael thanks so much for being guest on law enforcement today's show very much appreciated Hey, thanks, Jay, for having me on. First of all, i got to tell you, I looked at your backstory, and we have a, a lot of similarities. I spent much of my life as a teenager in Southern Maryland, in St. Mary's County. I didn't know you spent part of your career in Charles County. Yeah, I did. Uh, Charles County is just north of where you were. Here's my migration. I grew up in a military family, career Navy guy. My dad was. And uh, I spent most of my childhood in Norfolk, Virginia, then migrated to Southern Maryland, St. Mary's County, then went to Baltimore, was on police department there, got hurt and retired, came back to St. Mary's County, then moved to Florida. So uh, you're still in Virginia, though. I am. And, you know, it's, it's funny because I'm from Florida originally, and I was in the Navy, Norfolk, and ended up in, back in that area after I got out of the Navy. And I was a D.C. police officer, Washington, D.C. So that's just down the road from where you were. Absolutely. There's a lot of, <laughs> we were in the similar areas. A yeah, lot and then of I was parallels. With the Charles County Sheriff's Office. So let's talk very quickly. You started in the United States Navy as a helicopter pilot, correct? Correct. And you did what, eight years? Yeah, I did eight years. Uh, at that time, that was the commitment. Um, yeah, I went into the Navy, flew, and uh, met my wife going in. We were in ROTC together. But I always knew that law enforcement was really what I wanted to do. I mean, going into the Navy, I, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So uh, flying, was it was great. It was fun. I enjoyed it. But uh, I always had my eyes set on a law enforcement career, which is the, the path that I ended up going down. And you served in Desert Shield and Desert Storm. I want to thank you for your service in the military okay. and also in, in law enforcement as well. The law enforcement people don't get enough thanks. As a matter of fact, funny thing is, Michael, I've gotten more thanks well after retiring than every day on the job. <laughs> that's, that is that is true. Uh, but it, it wasn't getting a lot of thanks. Although, 
you know what? I have to, I do have to say, there were a lot of people that appreciated, you know, what we were doing. It's just that I, I, I don't know that that's always what was in the forefront of my mind. You know, we were always dealing with the people that, that didn't like us. But, yeah, I, one thing I will say is that the general public, by and large, really does appreciate the work that, that first responders do every day. I believe they do. And I also think, and I, I'm going to say this very carefully, I think they appreciate the lies that we tell. When I say the lies, I'm not talking about nefarious reasons or, or court or anything like that or corruption. I'm talking about we do everything in our power to make sure they are safe. And if people realized how unsafe they could be just yeah. from the boogeyman down the street, it's not this the creep in a car you have to worry about. It's your neighbor sometimes. Yeah, you know, and it's it's interesting that you say that because I just had a conversation with someone in, uh, this past weekend about it. And uh, we we were talking about safety, and this is you know somebody just directly asked me, you know what what was it what is it like you know just day to day what are the threats that we're facing? And I uh, kind of half jokingly said to the person, but you know it, 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 there's a lot of truth to what we're saying. I said, you know, I'll be honest with you, if you if you knew it was walking around out there unsupervised, um, you'd probably never leave your house. Yeah. Um, you know, and I and I, I meant that as kind of like a side joke, but there's a lot of truth to it. There's a lot. There's a lot of danger that, that is around us every single day that I think the average person just isn't even aware of. You got a lot of expertise from your career in the FBI. You worked in domestic yeah. terrorism cases, correct? I did. I did. So a lot of people really don't understand, and and not to belabor the point of the school shooting in Texas, I was mm-hmm. talking with a friend last night. He said, if people realized how one loser lunatic can kill multiple people and ruin their lives or their survivors, they would be horrified. And when we see things like this all the time, and I'm not going to get lost on tangents, but we see things like this all the time, and they act like there's got to be more to it. There's got to be some big conspiracy behind this thing. Oh, no, Mm -hmm. one lunatic can mess up a lot of people's lives. Oh, absolutely. And by the way, and a lot of people don't understand that this this particular case would not, in fact, uh, not be classified as a domestic terrorism case. And I know to a lot of people, you think, no, of course it is. Well, not really, not by the FBI definition. And it goes to what, what you're talking about here. Um, to, in order to be a domestic terrorism case, um, it has to have three prongs. And it, A, there has to be a crime that was committed, which there certainly was here. But uh, you have to be trying to um, influence the government through the use of uh, force or violence. So there's the, the, those additional elements uh, to this, which is not what this is. I mean, this was a, a mass murder. Certainly it was a crime. But this uh, would not be classified as a domestic terrorism case because there was no, politi- no social or political agenda behind it. And, you know, what's going on in this particular case and what's really lost, and I know, Jay, you and I uh, have a, a, a real connection to what I'm about to say here, but this was, you know, really mental illness. When you look at these cases, these, these mass shootings, it, it really highlights the fact that mental illness in the United States worldwide, but we're focused on the United States, is largely unaddressed or unaddressed, um, not addressed the way that it should be, I, I should say. And, um, and that's what this is all about, because at the end of the day, it's a human being that pulls the trigger on, right. a, on a gun. It's not the gun. It's a human being. Right. And we are really missing, in my opinion, Jay, we're missing that larger point. Yeah, and, and a big part of the equation has to be that we are not addressing. I got to ask you this. 
Yeah. I really did not want to get in this conversation. But one of the things Americans oh, seem I'm to sorry. love. No, that's right. Because <laughs> we're in it now. We're knee deep in it. Yeah. yeah. One of the things Americans seem to be enthralled by, and I blame the media for this, is motive. You know, you got to have, yeah. with any kind of crime, you have to have the motive, the opportunity, and the means to carry it out. We mm-hmm. tend to focus on motive and means and lose total sight of opportunity. Why is it, in your opinion, we are so focused on motive? And that's the least important thing, especially with these mass shooters, terrorism. I don't want to hear about their manifestos. I don't want to hear about any of that. As a matter of fact, I don't even give their names out. Yeah. No, I don't blame it. So I, and this is just my opinion, and I'm, I'm going to caveat everything I'm about to say with, this is my opinion, but it's based on experience. It's based on research, which I know you and I both do. Um, I think that, that we as a nation are focused on motive. Because we want to find a boogeyman, and uh, unfortunately, politics plays a large part in this. And we, uh, unfortunately, in in the last number of years, uh, we we try to when I say we the the the, peop- the political parties that are pushing either agenda, uh, they're trying to pit people against one another. And if I can come up with an agenda behind this person, we will return you know, to this conversation in just a moment. We're talking with Michael Van Meter, retired FBI. Former military, corrections, police officer, we got so much more to talk about. If you haven't done so already, please download our app. It's 100% free. We got versions for your Android and iPhone devices, 100% free. You can download them today at our website, which is letradioshow.com. This is Law Enforcement Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. When your job is responding to emergencies and you can only take what you can carry, what do you pack? Good mental health may be the last thing that comes to mind, but it's also critical PPE to have with you in any situation. At FHE Health, we specialize in treating first responders' unique mental health needs. FHE Health's 30-day program equips first responders with the tools they need to be healthy and resilient in their jobs. Our trauma-based therapies and cutting-edge neurotechnologies relieve symptoms like insomnia and anxiety, teach healthy coping skills, and restore brain health faster. Our integrated approach addresses psychiatric and medical issues at the same time for comprehensive healing. Peer group therapy with other first responders provides an added layer of support and connection that boosts the recovery process. Need a hand packing for the next emergency? For better mental health and peak performance, call FHE Health at 833-776-1420. Online at FHEHealth.com. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to LETRadioShow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at LETRadioShow.com. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. Return to conversation with Michael Van Meter, uh, connecting with us from Virginia. Michael is a retired FBI agent. He's had 30 years combined experience in military, corrections, police, and FBI. Uh, he retired. He was working on healthcare fraud, organized crime, and domestic terrorism cases. He's a founder and director of Van Meter Wellness Solutions LLC and host of Recovery is Possible podcast. Before we went to break, Michael, we're talking about Americans' obsession with motive. Now, I don't have Mm -hmm. that. You don't have it. And you made a great point. It's almost as if it's a media, and I'm going to throw politicians in this because they're kind of inseparable at this point. And they, by the way, have the same end goal about increasing revenue for themselves. They are pitting Americans against each other. So, 
Uh, no doubt about it. Because if if there is, it's not a motive. The problem, Jay, is when you look at each one of these these cases, there's an underlying unaddressed mental health issue. And in fact, in in the last couple of cases, uh, the individuals that were involved had in fact been referred for mental health uh, treatment, and um, it was either not pursued or was not successful. And uh, if anybody wants an agenda to follow, it needs to be the uh, mental mental health of this nation. And we need to get to the point to where um, this, this is addressed. Because, Jay, and you and I both being in law enforcement saw this every day. Any police officer that's out on the streets today um, deals primarily with people that have mental health yeah. issues. And, and our only solution is to arrest them and get them off the street, which is sometimes not only the best thing in the in the, the interest of the community, but it's in the best interest of that individual themselves. Sometimes, you know, somebody take, being taken into custody uh, uh, is is in their best interest, and a lot of people don't understand that. But we, we end up being social workers and psychologists, which we are not, but we're put into that situation because the larger community fails to address the, these issues. Well, I saw it a lot in the city. Yeah, and, and quite often, a lot of these people with mental illness issues, and I'm going to throw substance abuse in there as well because it's, yeah. it's in the same realm. And we dealt with that in law enforcement all the time. For example, if someone had a drinking problem, you knew it because you got called their house all the time. I mean, right. all the time. Same with other controlled substances, heroin, cocaine, didn't matter what it was. The bleed over effect on their family is tremendous. So we got called all the time, domestic disputes, family problems, all that sort of stuff. And many people would walk up to us and, and say, thank you for arresting me. Thank you for helping to change my life. It wasn't, mm-hmm. we treated all these people, but I, I want to get to this very simple point. Just because someone has mental health issues does not mean they're not a threat to the safety of other people. Oh, no. And that's the yeah, thing no, that we seem to lose sight of. Yeah, but they're mentally yeah. ill. Yeah. And, and we can go on this point forever. To do violent crime, you've got to be in some degree mentally ill. However, you don't meet the mental standard for legal standard for insane. Yeah, and, and that's a very, very good point. And in fact, all of these cases that we're talking about, there was mental health issues. And, 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 and some people in the public that don't understand what we do will say, well, why are, why are you doing Why are you taking them into custody? They have a mental health issue. Yeah, we understand that as police officers, but you understand we don't legislate. We don't create these systems. All we can do is if you have somebody with a mental health issue and they're doing something, uh, either committing a crime, our only alternative is to take them into custody. The rest of society and, and, and voters, you know, you need to get legislators in office that will create systems that can take care of these people. But at the end of the day, law enforcement officers are the ones that have to deal with these folks. And we can only utilize the tools that legislators give us. That's we're limited by that. And I think that's what pe- and then people turn around and if things go wrong. They turn around and blame the law enforcement officers for, for doing this. And by and large, you know, I, I know the media has really painted a lot of law enforcement officers in a bad light in the last uh, number of years. But the fact is, th- those are extreme minorities. The vast majority of people I've worked with over the years are hardworking people that, that care deeply about the community and the individuals that they, they come in contact with. But the media never covers that. They yeah. only they only cover, you know, that one incident out there. That the old saying wrong. in Baltimore is that it bleeds, it leads. Uh, and it refers to the, the, new, the print news. But 
nothing's really changed. They've got to attract eyeballs and ears and whatever it is on their message so they can increase their distribution, get higher ratings, and increase their ad sales. That's really Mm -hmm. so. If there's not controversy, they're not going to print it. And they can't create controversy, they're not going to print it. It's just not going to happen. When I say print, that replies to uh, applies to television, radio, and, and social media as well. So mm-hmm. we, we talked extensively about mental health. We talked extensively about you know these these crimes that are not, in my opinion, reported accurately. There's always an agenda that's being put out there, and how we get lost on motive. One of the things that 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 a lot of people tend to lose sight on, in my opinion, and my experience is the mental health of our first responders. When I say first responders, I'm talking about law enforcement, corrections, dispatchers, EMTs, paramedics, firefighters, military in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, we've gotten better with the military than we have with the rest of our first responder community. And mental Mm -hmm. health is a big issue and has been since I was a rookie police back in 1980. Yeah, we... We are coming in, in the in the first responder community, and, and I and I'm going to separate the two out: military and first responder community, because it's different systems, and uh, because of you know Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, you know one of the if there was any blessing that came out out of all that was the recognition of trauma and in the need for the treatment for trauma. And uh, I'm not saying it's perfect, but we've come a light years uh, with with our military. You know, even since I was in the military, we've come come light years. Uh, law enforcement, there are pockets uh, where uh, people are, are improving upon the system. And I, and I think that the, that's due in large part because of people like you, people like me and others that raise this raise this issue and really highlight it. But there's so many different agencies, and, and remember, all these agencies uh, are separate. You know, they're all autonomous, so they uh, can they can develop or not develop their own systems. But more and more uh, people are highlighting this. But we have a long, long way to go with first responders. Yeah, and long way to go. Your life was impacted by this, and my life was impacted by this. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know of anybody that makes a, a career in law enforcement. And I'm going to narrow down the focus that works in law enforcement for 20 years, 10 years, whatever more, that doesn't get damaged to some degree or another. And right. you've been affected, not been affected. Mm-hmm. And everybody, yeah. almost everyone I know that uh, comes on the show on a law enforcement show has been affected to some degree or another. The question is how bad? Yeah, uh, no, I, you're, you're absolutely right. And I, you know, Jay, when I go out, I, I speak in front of a lot of groups, particularly law enforcement groups. And I, I always start out my talks with this question. How many of you in this room um, know someone or related to someone or work with someone, somebody in your orbit that has an addiction issue? And Jay, do you know, and I'm, I'm talking thousands of people that I've spoken to. Do you know that I, I've never had someone not raise their hand? Not uh, once. It's, it's so, and I hate the term epidemic, but it has been, and it's not just a recent thing. It's been a long time. This is the Law Enforcement Show. We are talking with Michael Van Meter. Uh, he is retired FBI agent, uh, 30 years in military, corrections, police work, and FBI. And we've got so much more to talk about his story. This is Law Enforcement Show. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Flintstone Media has been the digital messaging bedrock of several brands and businesses, serving as a highly resourceful podcast production house and consultancy firm for over six years. Work with a leader in the industry and add a new podcast to your brand's content offerings. 
From show development and setup through recording and distribution, Jemmy will lend her experience launching dozens of podcasts and producing over a thousand episodes, making creating your show a simple and easy turnkey process for you. Visit FlintstoneMedia.com for podcast samples. That's FlintstoneMedia.com. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Return our conversation with Michael Van Meter on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Michael is a very interesting guy. He's got 30 years combined experience between military, a United States Navy helicopter pilot, uh, served in Desert Shield and Desert Storm. He worked in corrections in Charles County, Maryland, was a Washington, D.C. police officer, and then went to the FBI and retired from the FBI. He worked in healthcare fraud, organized crime, and domestic terrorism cases. Now he is the founder and director of Van Meter Wellness Solutions, LLC, and host of Recovery is Possible podcast. So in your 30-year career, and I, I hate to ask this because it's oversimplified question. Was there a point in your career where it's like there was life before and life after and life after was radically different? And for many of us, it's a, a slow decline. But was there a point in your career like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, just just to the audience, what we're talking about here is the progression of addiction with my case, in my case, specifically alcohol, which in the you know, you, you've you've heard my resume there that Jay put out and that it's been military corrections, police, FBI. And what all of those jobs have in common is there's a culture of drinking, heavy culture of drinking. It, it's almost promoted. Um, in fact, you know, it's funny last I, uh, my wife and I went and watched um, the new Top Gun <laughs> Maverick, which was a good movie by the way. But, but, and I'm, the reason why I'm bringing this up is I was a Naval aviator and of course Top Gun is about Naval aviation. And, if if you if you see the movie, um, you'll see that it really centers around drinking. A lot of the scenes, like almost no matter what they do in the movie, they always come back to in the bar and they're drinking or they're having conversations around alcohol. That was my Navy experience, and but it wasn't it wasn't much different in the police department and then the FBI. These are drinking cultures, so it was always there. But I think it started to take off with the progression and. Um, if, if you, you ever listen to my podcast, we talk extensively about the progression of addiction and it, it, it's a slow progression. And, um, at least with alcohol, I'm talking about it. it's a, it's a slow progression, but it is a progression and it never gets better. And, um, you know, it, there's, but I think it started to take off when I got into my law enforcement career, I, I the origins of it really escalating started in the police department. It was actually prior to the FBI, and a lot of that has to do with just the, the trauma. You know, when you're in the military, you, you face trauma, absolutely no doubt about it. But you, it's for periods of time. You'll go off in deployment, then you come back, and you go off again. You know, in law enforcement, it's trauma every day. And there's no deployment cycle. It's, it's every day for, you know, 20, 30 years, depending on how long you're in your career. And um, you see things in law enforcement. Uh, you know, keep this in perspective. You see things in particularly a city department like Baltimore, where you were, Washington, D.C., where I was. I would see things uh, daily that if the average person saw it once, if they saw some of these things once in their life, they would be in therapy for a very, very long time. But we were seeing that every day. And that takes its toll. And uh, at a certain point, I'll talk about 
uh, not just the trauma that you see on the job with the public, but later as you start moving through the management ranks, you actually have another form of trauma, which is not talked about a whole lot, but it's trauma within the organization, being wrong, getting those resentments from the uh, maybe getting a job, not getting a job, uh, not getting promoted, or the political backstabbing that happens in uh, organizations. And that can be just as traumatic, too. You know, Jay, what's interesting is I go around the country and I – and I participate in what's known as PCIS or post-critical incident seminars. And these are seminars for first responders to help them work through a traumatic incident that they were in, whether it be a shooting, uh, you know, uh, working child pornography or any other horrific event. And they're brought in to deal with that particular issue. But what I've noticed over the, the PCISs that I've worked, that the attendees will talk about that trauma. And it is, it is trauma. But what they get really angry about, and we spend time processing the most, is how they, the resentment and anger they have towards their organization for not helping them the way either, either disciplining them or being felt, feeling like the organization didn't take care of them or maybe screwed them over, whatever the case may be. You know, every situation is going to be a little bit different. But oftentimes, that anger towards the organization is greater than the trauma that they faced out on the street, which is what yeah, brought them to the PCS correct. in the first place. In, in yeah. my, my case, I can just tell you this without going into details. <laughs> the, the trauma that went through all the time definitely took a toll. And, and I began to show serious cracks in, in my mental health of, about mm-hmm. my third shooting. However, stuff the department did was the one that was the straw that broke the camel's back. That was the one that really devastated me and my family. And I'm not going to belabor the point. And here's the reason why. And people may that know me want to know, why don't you talk about this? Because it's not just my story. It's my daughter's mm-hmm. story. It's my ex-wife's story. It's my current wife's story. It's also my mother, my sister's story. So I don't talk about it on the radio. That departmental response to a lot of things politically motivated is the one that, that can really devastate lots of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's what we hear, and and I mean it's 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 noticeable, it is noticeable, and it, it, the healing begins with many of the people that come to these uh, seminars when we point out because I don't think a lot of them understand that their real anger is feeling as though they've been let they've been harmed by the by the agency, and to couple that in the last few years in particular, there's another element that I've noticed in PCIS is feeling that, you know, the organization has turned on them and then the public, the public, let's face it, Jay, in the last few years, the police have taken a beating. The FBI has taken a beating and it, it really affects, you know, people that go to work every single day, not knowing if they're going to come home alive and they're putting their lives on the line for people that don't even like them and almost in some cases wish them harm, but yet they still go to work every day to protect these people. And then, then the general public turns on them and talks about how all police are bad. Yeah. All police are, you know, horrible people. You can't do that for years. And you're fed, you're fed this nonstop. I found myself getting into feeding into this frenzy that the media puts out there, you know, yeah. and I, I, I don't want to go into specifics, but I wanted to lash out at police and go, wait a second. One of my chief complaints is when people Monday morning quarterback 
And that's something that Department of Brass and command staff tend to do all the time, and they weren't there. And I tell people all the time, and I love cops, I do. But some of them are the worst about saying, you know, if I was there, I'd have done this, and you didn't do that, you're a coward. Uh, that's Monday morning quarterbacking. Yeah. Look, I, I, I dealt with the, the information that was in front of me at that time. I didn't, I didn't have, you know, 20 hours to sit and analyze uh, a body recorder or the, the, the radio transmission or look at the, you know, what was put out in the media. I didn't have that luxury. I was there, and I had to make a split-second decision with the information that was literally in front of me. I didn't have five different camera angles. I had the angle that I was looking at. And, you know, it's amazing that it seems like when people get into management, and this was true in the FBI, too, is when people get into management, they seem to forget <laughs> what that was like. Repeat that again for the, everybody else that, that didn't get it. <laughs> that when you go into management, you seem to forget what it was like to be doing that job. Yeah, and here's yeah. one thing I'll say that, you know, the people that tend to get promoted and they want to become police chiefs and, and command staff, usually are the ones who did nothing in police work. They were what we called mobile secretaries. They never had complaints. They never got in trouble. That's how they got elevated. And a lot of what we see going on, the people being appointed by mayors and governors and county commissioners are these people that don't know the first thing about police work, and they have something lacking in their character called courage and or experience. So this is the Law Enforcement Show. We'll turn our conversation with Michael Van Meter, Retired FBI agent, 30 years, combined experience, military, corrections, police work, and FBI. It's the Law Enforcement Show. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Have you ever wanted to listen to a favorite Law Enforcement Today episode again or chat directly with John J. Wiley? Now you can. Download Podopolo for free on either app store and send John J. Wiley a DM right on the app. That's P-O-D-O-P-O-L-O, Podopolo. Has this ever happened to you? You sign up for a free email newsletter, and within hours, you're receiving tons of spam. That won't happen when you subscribe for the free Law Enforcement Today radio show email newsletter. We won't spam you. No more than two emails a week. I promise. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. This is the Law Enforcement Today show with our guest connecting from Virginia. We have Michael Van Meter. He is a retired FBI agent. Michael's got 30 years combined experience. Military, United States Navy helicopter pilot, served in Desert Shield and Desert Storm, worked in corrections in Charles County, Maryland, Washington, D.C. police officer, and then went to the FBI and retired out of the FBI. He's worked healthcare fraud, organized crime, and domestic terrorism cases. Michael, a big part of your mission and what you do is about recovering from alcoholism, substance abuse, yeah. and things of that nature. One of the things, without going into lots of specific details, we talked about trauma, never-ending cycle trauma as a police officer, and also what we don't talk about a lot is shift work, that... In my department back in the day, we changed every 28 days. We, we rotate around the clock. So getting into a normal sleeping pattern was next to impossible, especially in combining that with nightmares, stress, irritability, hypervigilance. The only way 
people like me could get to sleep was to knock themselves out with alcohol. Mm-hmm. And there was a period of my life where I thank God I had it because I don't know that I would have survived as long as I did. However, for many people, that can create a huge problem. Is that an underestimation in your point? No, and it's a, 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 you are a, a absolutely correct. And I would say that uh, that was really, for me, the progression where I, if I can go back and do sort of a, a postmortem of my drinking career, it was in my police days that it really took off. And it sounds like we had a very similar system that what you did, um, you know, you're working, your shift work and you know, it'd be one thing if you just stayed on one shift, you know, for a long period of time that your body could adjust to that. But we rotated um, those shifts, which I never, to this day, I don't understand the, the logic behind that, but they do. And you can never get that circadian rhythm down. And that with the trauma, you know, people have to understand that when you're in a department, particularly a big city department like you and I were, when you go to work, you have a 100% adrenaline dump every single day. I mean, just your max uh, adrenaline dump into your system. It's not like you can just go home and turn that off and go to bed. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And so many people, myself included, uh, would, would use alcohol to help sleep. Now, I now know in the work that I do, and we'll talk about this a little bit, a little bit later, but in the work that I do now, I realize that drinking, and if you're listening to me, I want you to listen to me closely. Drinking does not help you sleep. It actually makes your sleep less it effective. It's worse. the worst thing yes. that you can do. Now, I didn't know that, and it sounds like you didn't know that, but that's where the progression for me started, really. When you talk about the adrenaline dump, and I, I tell people there's someone, I can't remember who quote this came from, police work for many of us is massive amounts of sheer boredom, routine call after call after call, followed by extreme moments of extreme stress and, and trauma and uh, adrenaline. And for me in Baltimore, sometimes it's multiple times a shift. You go total full on adrenaline dump to back to calm to full on a few hours later on. And by the end, you're like, I, I'm, phys- I'm physically and mentally worn out. I've gotten a point, mm-hmm. Michael, where I can't even stand it. When it happens now, I've, if I start getting angry, irritated, stressed out, it starts coming off. I have to like disconnect totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and your body's not designed to do that. Uh, you know, that's the fight or flight system. It, it, it's a survival mechanism that our body has, and it needs to be there, you know, for certain, you know, if you if you are exposed to danger, you have to get away from danger. And um, your body does, a, there's a lot physiologically that's going on to make that happen. And your your body is designed to do that <laughs> occasionally. But for us, that occasionally was every day. And yeah. you're not designed to do that. And so we, what we try to do is we start to self-medicate. And, you know, for me, you know, leading into what the work that I do now is, you know, it, it progressed to the point where it became problematic. And what I mean by problematic, initially, it's, um, you know, A, I think internally I, I knew it was becoming a problem. You know, there, I, I just intuitively knew it, but then you ignore it. And you think, oh, you know, I'll, 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 when I get that next assignment, you know, I'll, I'll deal with it. When I move to that other squad, I'll deal with it. When I transfer, I'll deal When I get promoted, I'll deal with it. You, it keeps getting put, put off, but addiction gets worse. It, it gets worse. It never gets better. And what happened was it eventually got to the point where it wasn't just my family that was noticing it, but it was people at work. And um, I was fortunate in the, the fact that when people, I was so fearful of losing my job that uh, at, a, at a certain point, I raised my hand 
and said, I need to get help. Now, uh, I know in, in the very, very short amount of time that we're talking about this, it sounds like it was an easy thing. You know, voila, one day I woke up and I was sober. That was not the case. I was a constant relapser wanting to get sober and it just, it, it, I just wasn't getting sober. Now, a lot of that is, I, I don't know initially that uh, it was that I wanted to get sober. I think I just wanted to continue drinking without consequences. And if I could find a way to drink to get all these people off of my back, because I had developed a back problem, I wanted you off my back. If I had, if I could have done that, I think I would have done that. But that's not the way that it works. And eventually, um, you know, after going to treatment and and then even having a relapse after that, I had an, an experience where I was faced with two options, and that was get well or die. Right. And what I mean by either I was going to drink myself to death or I was going to take my own life. Uh, but it was going to happen either way. And it was at that moment that I had that epiphany that, like, I need to start listening to the people that know what they're talking about. And I and I need to take this, this very, very seriously. Now, well, one of the things I think you said very quickly yeah. that, uh, that people yeah. lose track of, you were a chronic relapser. I tell people all the yeah. time, when it comes to substance abuse, addiction, whatever terms people want to use, doesn't matter how many times someone's failed. If they're breathing in and out, there's a shot for them. There's a chance. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, as long as you're breathing, there is a chance. And don't ever, uh, there, there's a saying in, in the program that I'm in, um, don't give up five minutes before the miracle happens. Absolutely. And I, for those, you know, in a lot of ways, I think in, in a lot, looking back on it, it didn't seem like this at the time, but I think that my chronic relapses are a blessing. And the reason why I say that is for me, I don't go back out and drink now because I've got I've got a lot more drunks in me, but I don't have another recovery in me. If that recovery in me, if that makes sense, that makes perfect. And then sense. also, and then when I work with um, uh, people now in recovery, whether it's in a treatment center or just one on one, I think it's encouraging to those that I'm working with to know whenever they relapse and they and they become very discouraged and, and depressed and, and angry and, and they, they want to give up. And then I can just come alongside them and say, look, let me tell you, let me tell you what it was like for me. Um, look, I'm, I'm, I'm going on 10 years sober and you know, you can do it too, because guess what? You've rel- I've relapsed a bunch more times than you did and I'm still here. But the thing with me, the only, the only thing that I can pat myself on the back for was I did not give up. I, I just, I kept doing kept doing it. And that's, that's all I encourage these, these individuals to do. And this really leads into trying. what you do today. You're retired FBI, uh, worked in yeah. corrections, worked in law enforcement, police officer, former military, United States Navy. You have a, a podcast called Recovery is Possible. You are the founder and mm-hmm. director of Van Meter Wellness Solutions, LLC. And it's all about your mission about helping other people rebuild their lives after substance abuse and or addiction problems. Correct. Correct. And how that started was, uh, and I'm not, I'm not disparaging anyone. This is not meant to be, uh, you know, because again, I, I look at all this as a blessing and I, I will give my former organization, the FBI, that is credit that they, when we, we finally started looking at this and I talked to people about the need for help, there were people that listened and, and, uh, they helped me create a course because I was an instructor at the FBI Academy and they helped me uh, create a course called leading at risk employees at the FBI national Academy, which is for the the police executives that are brought in. And uh, I still taught there to this day, but, uh, the reason why that course was developed in the first place is I felt like the whole case, when I raised my hand to get well, it was it was just mishandled. I mean, there were more things that were done to harm me than to help me. But I, I'm saying that knowing that everyone that was involved, I think they meant well, 
I think many of them didn't really understand addiction. Yeah. I don't think that they they didn't understand it. And I, nobody was setting out, you know, like, I'm going to harm my... I think that's why you know? it's so important. If you know someone, especially in the law enforcement world, that specializes in trauma, that knows trauma, yeah. and can help you recover and get better and have a better, more productive life. You need to seek those out like... Shatterproof at FHE. Yeah. Be sure to check them out, FHEHealth.com. You've got That's a great program. Wh- yeah. Where can people get more information about you and your podcast? Yeah, um, it is VanMeterWellnessSolutions.com is my website, VanMeterWellnessSolutions.com. You can link to my podcast on that website or just go on any of the uh, podcast platforms. And it's called Recovery is Possible. And you'll see my name and my pictures on there. A lot of information, um, much of it related to what we were talking about here. Today. And can people get in touch with you on your website? Yeah, abs- absolutely. Uh, there's email address on there, and uh, you, you and I, I will respond to the email to send it to me. And if you need to talk to me, and I'll get you my phone number, and, and we can speak that way. Michael, thanks so much for being a guest on Law Enforcement Today's show. Thank you for your service. All very much appreciated. Thank you. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.